Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Go to Judges chapter 16, verse 28. One verse of scripture. And we're going to deal with a man that many of you are familiar with, especially if you've been raised in church, you went to Sunday school, you've been to church most of your life. It's a man named Samson. And I've titled this, The Battle, The Bondage, and The Breakthrough. And Judges chapter 16, 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I want everybody to shout, remember me. me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray this once, O God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. The reason I titled this message about Samson, the, the battle, the bondage, and the breakthrough, is the three chapters in Judges, actually two chapters, Judges 15 and 16, uh, reveal this outline. Judges chapter 15 deals with the battle. Judges chapter 16, part A, that's the early part, deals with the bondage. And Judges 16, part B, deals with what we call the breakthrough. One of the most, most amazing things I have discovered in, in 41 years of preaching and many thousands of hours of Bible study is the Bible has to absolutely be the inspired word of God because of types and shadows. In other words, if you read the Old Testament, you'll read a story and it will reveal exact parallels of either the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, or something relating to Bible prophecy. And one of the most amazing things, and I can't even, I can't even do it justice this morning because it's like 25 parallels between the beginning of the birth of Samson all the way to his destruction of the Philistines that are parallel to the life of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we call these prophetic parallels or patterns that are found in the scripture. And so in the story of Samson, you can find the revelation of a parallel similar to the birth of Jesus. You can find the power of the church. You can find the bondage that saints find themselves in, and you can find the answer to the breakthrough, how you get broke through from those things. Now, I'm going to give you just a few things to think about, about the birth of Samson, comparing it to the birth of Jesus Christ. So what we do, we start in Judges 13, and then we come to the four gospels. So let's look at this. First of all, Samson's mother had no children, Judges 13 and 2. And we know that Mary had no children. This was Jesus' mother because she was a virgin. Number two, an angel appeared to her and said, you will have a son. Judges 13 verse 3, an angel of the Lord appeared to Mary saying, you will have a son. Number three, the, the, the Bible tells us that Samson's mother was told he will be a Nazarite from the womb, Judges 13, 5, and Jesus is called a Nazarene. Now, a Nazarite and a Nazarene are two different people, but Jesus was also called to a life of separation the way Samson was. Number four, Samson was said, the angel declared to his mother, he will deliver Israel from their enemies, Judges 13, verse 5. And the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Jesus' mother, Christ will deliver or save his people from their sins. He will be a savior in the same way that Samson was a savior to Israel. Number five, the name Samson actually in Hebrew means sunlight. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, that's just five things that we could go into. Now, one of the more interesting things about the story is when the angel of the Lord, who is unnamed, appears to Samson. Samson's mother and Samson's father, they obviously want to know the name of the angel. When the angel appeared to Zacharias in, uh, uh, Zacharias in um, 
Luke chapter 1, the angel says, I am Gabriel. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, the angel says, my name is Gabriel. Here, the angel appears over and over in the narrative, but never gives the name. So finally, we discover that the, um, the father says to this angel in Judges 13, what is your name? Now listen to the response. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me after my name, seeing it is a secret? Now I would think that the word secret meant a mystery, right? A secret, a mystery. It's mysterious. Look at the Hebrew word here. This is really wild. I hope you get this. The Hebrew word here is the Hebrew word pale, and it is a word which is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah 9 and 6 is a prophecy about Jesus, a prophecy about the Messiah. Listen to the phrase. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word wonderful in that verse in Isaiah is the same Hebrew word for secret that the angel used, pale. So when the angel said, I can't tell you because my name is wonderful. And the Messiah, Jesus, his name shall be called wonderful. So some people believe that this could be a manifestation the Old Testament calls it a theophany, and that's a theological word, but it is the appearance of Jesus in the form of an angel in the Old Testament. Now, we know that that's possible because he said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. That means he saw it in the spirit. And in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were coming out of Egyptian bondage, the Lord said to them in Exodus, my angel shall go before you. The Lord tells them in Exodus 23 and 21, my name is in that angel's name. God also says to them, do not offend my angel because he will not forgive you of your sins if you offend him. Now, you and I know only God can forgive sins. So this angel was a very, very unique angel. In fact, the scripture says in Exodus 14, 24, that this angel hid in a pillar of cloud by day and in the fire by night and stayed with Israel during the entire 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so when, I love this, so when the pillar of cloud by day ceased and the fire by night stopped, that happened when the children of Israel got to the Jordan River 40 years later and they crossed over to Jericho. Now remember this, in the book of Joshua, we could preach right here. In the book of Joshua, we discover that Joshua is about to figure out how to take Jericho. And the Bible says that suddenly he looked up and there was a man standing there with a sword in his hand. And Joshua says this, are you for us or are you against us? And the man answers and says, neither, but as captain of the Lord's armies, have I now come to you. Wow. And then here's where, here's where it gets interesting. The angel said, take thy shoe off thy foot. Now, in the book of Exodus, God says to Moses, take thy shoes off thy feet. That's both of them. Why? Because you're on holy ground. But here's what's interesting. That when the angel of the Lord said this to Joshua, he did not say, I've heard it preached. They preach it wrong. They miss it. They read it wrong. Take your shoes off your feet. You're on holy ground. That is not what the angel said. The angel said, take loose thy shoe off thy foot. Now, you might not know what that means, but let's go back. 
Israel had been out of the land for over 430 years. God said that they're going to come back out of Egypt in Genesis 15, and he's going to bring them back into the land to take the land from the tribes that live there. Now the fulfillment was going to happen. However, the law of Moses was in existence. They knew the law because the law had been given to them in the wilderness. And the law said this, if you lose your property and you want to redeem your property back, then the person that originally owns the property Property, has to hand over their shoe to the elders of the city. And the elders of the city then give them permission to get the property back. Do you want to know an example where that happened? The book of Ruth. When Boaz wanted to redeem Naomi's property that she had lost during a famine. She'd been in Moab for 10 years. And after seven years, you'll lose it all. And her husband was a rich man and he died in Moab. And her son-in-laws died in Moab. And her and Ruth come back and they own nothing. She's got to redeem her property back. So she has to have a kinsman redeemer. And the only relative that was willing to do it was a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz went to the elders of the city and he loosed his shoe. I'm about to go somewhere. He loosed his shoe from off his foot. And when he handed it to the elders, the elders gave him permission to redeem Naomi's husband's property back and give her everything that she lost. I don't want you to miss it. When that captain of the Lord's host stood there and said, hand me your shoe. He was saying, Joshua, the moment I take your shoe as the captain of God's army, I give you permission to take back the promised land that the enemy took from you 400 years ago. It's called in the Bible, the law of the loose shoe. Now, the point I'm making is it is possible that the angel that appeared to Manoah and his wife, Samson's mom and dad, his name was secret. That means wonderful. It's possible that this angel that had God's name in it, that was either going to forgive or not forgive Israel, that God said, this angel is mine, could have actually been what we call the pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ before he came to earth. Now, I know that's a deep subject and, and we don't have time to get into that this morning, but let's go back and let's take a look at a few more things about Samson. The Bible said that the, uh, the parents in Judges chapter 13, 19, they sacrificed on a rock. Where was Jesus crucified? On a hill of the skull, a rocky mountain in Jerusalem. There's a parallel again. It says that they looked on at the angel in, in Judges 13 and 20, and in the crucifixion story, when Jesus is on top of that rock being crucified, the Bible said that the priest looked on while he was dying on the cross. And then we find out, and I love this part, it said, suddenly the angel went up from the rock and disappeared. And when Jesus Christ went to the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1, he went up into heaven and disappeared from the sight of the people. I wish I had time to just preach on Samson and Jesus and tell you these are just about eight total of parallels of over 20, somewhere around 25 parallels that could be presented. However, Samson not only represents a picture of Christ, but Samson's authority and power over his enemies represents the authority and the power that Jesus gave to the church. Jesus said, all power is given to me, heaven and in earth. That Greek word is authority. When Jesus said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, it actually can translate this way. I give you authority over all of the authority that Satan has. Jesus delegated legally his 
name, his blood, and his word to give it to us. We inherited it when we got saved. Come on, somebody. You got an inheritance that we have the same authority. Think about this over the enemy that Jesus exercised when he was walking on earth on the planet. Now, notice how the spirit of God began to touch Samson. In Judges 13, 25, I quote, and the spirit of God began to move upon him at times. But notice as he gets older, the spirit of God and the anointing increased. Judges 14, 14, verse 6, and the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. Then he starts defeating enemies in Judges chapter 14, 19, and the Spirit of God came upon him and he slew the enemy. That's a picture of the first century church. He gives them authority. The Spirit of God has blessed them. Acts 2, the Spirit of God is poured out upon them. Acts 4, they start doing miracles. By Acts 12, God is judging their enemies and destroying their enemies because they have exercised authority and power over the enemy. However, just like Samson had battles, just like the early church had battles, there are battles that come in your relationship with God. Not that God sends them, nor does God bring them, but how many of you know there is an enemy on the earth? Come on somebody. And I ain't talking about your mother-in-law. There is an enemy on the earth. It is Satan, the principalities, the powers. We call it the world, the flesh, the devil. But there's an enemy that you have to deal with. Now, what I'd like to do for the next few moments is show you some of the things that start happening to Samson that honestly are parallel to what happens to people who were in the body of Christ. And even some of you that are hearing me this morning here in Orange County may have been dealing with or have dealt with some of what we're going to talk about in Samson's life. The first thing I want to point out is this. It is interesting to note that not only in Samson's life, but in the Old Testament, that many of the battles that the people fought happened during, I quote, harvest time. Many times when the barley harvest was happening, the enemy would come to steal the harvest. Then when the wheat harvest would happen in early summer, they, the, the enemy didn't mind you planting the seed, growing the seed, and even harvesting it. So there you have a big pile of grain, and what would they do? They'd get an army and sneak in in the middle of the night and try to steal everything you work for how many of you know when the enemy tries to steal what you work for there's a slap the devil on the face anointing that comes on you right i mean there's something that happens because that's something you worked for that's something your hands put to the task that's something that that is a part of the harvest that god has promised you so in the parables of the new testament it is interesting to note that some of the parables happen at harvest time now the bible says in the gospels that the harvest is the end of the age we would say the harvest is the time of the end the harvest is the time before the lord returns now that could be years that could be months that could be many years, but it, nonetheless, it's near the Lord's return. So we are in the season right now. James 5 says the Lord waits patiently for the fruit of the earth. That's people to come and become ripe. And then he sends the harvesters out. He sends the rain of his spirit so that people's heart will be open to receive the word of God. Do you believe that we're in the harvest time? Do you believe we're in the greatest harvest worldwide of souls coming to Jesus all over this world than there has ever been Christian television, internet, satellite, 
life. Missionaries, there's never been a time since Jesus ascended to heaven like the time that we're in now. But the problem is that the wheat and the tare are growing together. Uh In the same field, the wheat are the children of God and the tare are the children of the enemy. And the Bible says they grow in the same field until harvest time. What I want to say to you is this. There's a separation coming. The good fish are going to be separated from the bad fish. The sheep are going to be separated from the goat. Come on, somebody. And the wheat's going to be separated from the tare. We're going to find out who's really on the Lord's side. We're going to find out who really loves Jesus with all of their heart or who's just playing the role of church. Come on, I'm going to preach anyhow. Now, Samson starts entering into the battle at harvest time. And I'd like to quickly give you some of the battles that he encountered. Battle number one was this. Samson's wife was actually given to his close friends. So he lost his wife. He lost his marriage. Samson did. Now, this is interesting because as it was in the days of Lot and Noah, so will it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Lot, his wife, and two daughters are running up a mountain from the fire of the destruction of the city of Sodom where they lived. And all of a sudden, she turns back and the Bible said she became a pillar of salt. Now, that doesn't make sense to you till you understand that the southern part of the Dead Sea is totally salty, that on the Israeli side of the Dead Sea, I can take you to a mountain that is a mile deep of solid salt, that the salt, the Dead Sea itself is nothing but about 30% chemicals, minerals, and salt. So when the volcanic eruption took place and it's still blowing things up, water, she probably got hit in the head by, by some type of a volcanic activity or something happening. And the water from the Dead Sea is pouring on her and it literally covers her. I can take a rock at the Dead Sea and put a rock down and throw Dead Sea water on it. And by the next day, if it's hot enough, it'll be crystallized in salt. It'll be covered in a layer of salt. So it doesn't mean she literally turned into salt. But what happened was the area where Sodom was located is the southern part of the sea where the sea is salt water and where there's an entire salt mountain. And all of that is an actual event. It took place. My point is Lot lost his wife on the way out. And the Bible said in Luke, remember Lot's wife. What does that mean? It means right when you're about ready to be free, right when you're about ready to be delivered, don't look back and don't turn back. Right when the Lord's about to come, don't turn back. Keep watching, keep praying, keep believing, keep looking. Do not turn back. That's what it means. King David, Saul became so angry at David that he gave his wife, which was his daughter, to another man. In fact, biblically, she had six sons born over the, over the 13 years that David was running in the wilderness being chased by Saul. So David lost his wife, eventually got her back, but he lost her for at least 13 years. Hosea, the Bible said that he married a wife and she was constantly running around with men. The Bible says she played the role of a harlot. And Hosea would go back and re- get her and go back and rescue her a second time. She would go back into a a prostitution. He kept doing it. And why did he do it? Because God said, this is how Israel is treating me. They're turning back on me, but I'm trying to call them back to me. They're turning back on me. I'm trying to pull them back to me. So Hosea is an example of that. Uriah lost his wife because David got her pregnant and David set him up, uh, Uriah up to be killed in a battle. So the point I want to make is that there is an attack that comes in the last days and because of Lot and because of 
of the story of Samson. Ladies, remember this. The enemy will attempt to attack you in the time of the end. We know that throughout history, you can see the history of preachers. You can go back to the early church. You can see how there was a Judas. You can see how that there were false teachers in the early church. Most of them were men. You can see there were false prophets in the early church. Most of them, or the majority of them, we should say, were men. But as you come to the time of the end, come on, ladies, get with me now. The enemy's going to attack the women the way he has attacked the men. So in the end of time, the Samson battle shows you that you have to be aware of the fact of the attack that the enemy wants to do against you during harvest time. Preach on, I'm going to. What did Samson do? When all of this happened, when they took his wife, the Bible says this, that Samson went up on top of the hill and dwelt on a rock. Uh-oh. I can tell you don't understand where I'm coming from with that one. The Bible says in Psalm 61 and 2, the Lord is our rock and our foundation. So when Samson got in trouble, instead of running away from God, talk to me now, somebody, he went and went to the top of the rock where he held out where the rock was. God is your rock. God is your solid foundation. You run to him in the time of trouble. You run to God and not from God. So Samson ran to the rock. We then discover the second thing that happened to Samson is suddenly the Judah. Judah represents praise. It's the tribe of praise. But Judah became so afraid of the enemies that Judah began to compromise and turn Samson over, Judges 15, 10, to be bound, to have his hands bound. Oh, and I saw that. What do you do with your hands? Well, you work with your hands. What do you do with your hands? You clap and praise God with your hands. What do you do with your hands? You worship God with your hands. What do you do with your hands? You lay hands on people and impart gifts of the Spirit and healing and deliverance by the laying on of hands. See, the point is that Judah is the tribe of praise. But the, oh, help me, Lord. But the enemy, the Philistines, were intimidating the tribe of Judah. Can I tell you what that represents? It represents the enemy intimidating you when you go to worship God. The enemy intimidating you when you go to lift your hands. The enemy intimidating you when you go to clap your hands. You see, there are some churches that when you go into that church back where we're from, they will let you know that if you want to shout and praise God out loud, you're not welcome here. If you want to lift your hands, that's too much of a charismatic Pentecostal thing. You're not welcome here. And you're sure enough not going to clap your hands in the middle of a church service. I can't understand what do they, what they, what do, they do with that verse that says, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of a trumpet. That's in the Bible. What do they do with that verse that says, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting? That is in the Bible. What do they do with all those verses in the Psalms that says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph? What do they do? The Pharisees were at the eastern gate, and the kids were worshiping, and the people were praising. And the Pharisees said, would you shut them up? They're making too much noise. And Jesus said, if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. I'm not here for a rock concert. I'm going to say it again. I didn't come to California for a rock concert for a bunch of rocks to shake in the middle of California and have an earthquake because you ain't praising God. I want to tell you, let the rocks shut up because I am a stone that believes you can worship God. Hallelujah. When you want to. Hey, hey, hey. Woo. Woo. Jesus, help me. So what did they do? Here's what they did. They bound Samson's hands. Binding your hands means tying your worship up. You can't clap. You can't lift your hands. But here's how Samson defeated the enemy. Ready? (laughs) He grabbed a jawbone. 
He grabbed a jawbone and began to take out the enemy that was against praise and knocked out a thousand of them with a jawbone. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. Some of you need to start fighting with your jawbone. Oh, you got all kinds of Christians. You got some that are backbones. You, you got some that are wishbones. You got some that are lazy bones. But then you got some that's got jaw bones. You cannot praise God. People say to me sometimes, they'll say, well, you know, I'm just a quiet worshiper. I praise God with my heart. Let me tell you what the Bible says about your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See, if, worship, if praise toward God is in my heart, then I don't struggle to get it out of my mouth. See, for me to say, hallelujah, thank God, bless the name of the Lord, thank you, Jesus, worthy is the Lamb, that flows out of me, but the reason it flows out of me is the praise is in my heart. If you struggle getting it out of your mouth, it's because it's not in your heart. And let me tell you something about praise. Jesus told you, you can praise me with your lips and your heart be far from me. Come on, Jesus knows when you... Fake a praise. Because we got some fake a praise churches. What they call worship is not really worship. It's ritual. It's routine. It's religious tradition. God is not into religious tradition. He is not into ritual. He is not into routine. But when he can find somebody that's been pulled, plucked from the pit of hell, somebody that was an addict that's delivered, somebody that was lost that's now found, somebody that's sick that's not healed, when God's been good to you, you will never have to struggle getting your jawbone out and killing some devils with your jawbone by praising God and given Lord Jesus anybody in this house got a jawbone praise right now come on get your jawbone praise on now it's real interesting that after Samson started using his jawbone the jawbone. Someone said, well, it was the jawbone of a donkey. Yeah. And Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. So just call yourself donkeys for Jesus. Huh? <laughs> now, he comes back out of the battle and there's a lion that has been killed. All right. And the Bible says that from the hollow of the jawbone came water. From the hollow of that bo- of the bone, so the jaw he, he's taking a jawbone fighting. So out of the jaw, y'all, y'all gonna get this in a minute. Out of the jawbone comes water. Out of the hollow comes the water. Well, that sounds real familiar in John chapter seven. He that believeth on me, Jesus said, out of his belly, the hollow. You know, in Greek, it's the hollow. It's the spirit shall flow what rivers. Not a river, rivers of living water. See, in you now is a healing river. In you now is a delivering river. In you now is a salvation river. Because the Bible said, with joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. So out of, he he takes the jawbone to defeat the enemy. But out of the jawbone begins to flow the water. Now what does that mean to me? It means praise. 
Pray. As I begin to worship God with my mouth, I defeat the enemy. As I begin to worship God with my jawbone and I move that jawbone and I begin to to bind the enemy and pray prayers of victory and pray prayers of deliverance and pray prayers for people to be touched, God begins to honor that. And the living water, which is the spirit, begins to flow. Come on. Let me say it this way. The more you get to shaking that jawbone, the more water is going to come out. Hey, hey, hey. Preach. I will. I told you I talked to myself. I was talking to myself one day. I was just talking to myself. I was just talking to myself. You know, over there in John 15, 14, and my daddy said, son, why are you talking to yourself? And the Lord gave me the response. I said, I like to hear what a good man has to say. I said, I'm the only one that can talk sense to myself. <laughs> Hosea 10, 11 says, Judah shall plow. Now, what's that mean? Let's go back to a, a scripture in Mark. Mark talks about that the sower sows the word. And we think the sower, he sows it in the ground. And that's the literal part of the parable. The spiritual analogy of that parable is the heart is where the seed is sown. And your heart can be stony ground. Hello. You can have a hardened heart. You can have a calloused heart. You can have a carnal heart, come on, or you can have a clean heart. And when you have a clean heart and you sow the word, the seed of the word into your heart, what's going to happen to it? The Bible says it's going to grow. But see, sometimes you've got some rocks in your heart. Sometimes you've got some rough places in your heart. Sometimes you've got some branches in your heart. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you've got stuff there. So you can't pray. So what you've got to do is in order to get the stuff out of your heart, it says this, Judah plows. What does that mean? Praise plows. You come into a service and you start worshiping God. You very seldom feel anything when you start. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Music gets to start. You, 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 you know, get moved. Yes, okay, something going on. We're in the groove right here. Praise God. All right. You keep pressing in. The preaching starts. The worship starts. And what begins to happen? Judah starts plowing. When you really plow in praise and worship, what will happen is just like a plow gets into the ground and gets rocks and stumps and roots out so the seed can get in there and grow. That's what worship does for you. It gets the stuff out of you where you can grow in the word that's planted in you. Hosea 2.21 says, I will hear the heavens and the heavens will hear the earth. So as I worship God, the heavens hears. And then in Hosea chapter 10 and 12, it says, now come and rain righteousness upon us. So the blessing of God is poured out upon us when we go back to the original thought, which is taking the jawbone like Samson did and slay the enemy with the worship and the praise and the words of our mouth. Oh, Lord, help me. Now, here's what happened to Samson, though. Samson was blessed with the anointing, but Samson had a battle. And his, his battle was with Delilah's haircutting salon. <laughs> Woo! Now, look, can we talk about this? These men in the Bible, honestly, there's some pretty strange things in the Bible, okay? And I'm not going to get into some of the strange things that are in the Bible because we will just throw this whole service off. But here's what it says. Listen to this, how interesting this is. Delilah starts messing with his mind because if you read the story, she's playing with his head, right? With his hair. The whole time, she's playing with his hair. And it says this. Now, this would be a weaving machine, but she put his head... This is, the, this is in the Bible, in a web and a pen. Ever heard of the World Wide Web? Ever heard of pen numbers? It's awful quiet in the place. More people 
in my generation and this younger generation are getting in trouble with the internet. It's interesting they call it the World Wide Web. Oh, come on now, don't look at me like this. Because it's like a spider web. If it's not used properly, you'll find yourself stuck in a web like a, like a fly is in a spider web. You have people that look at things on a consistent basis who get themselves. You heard my daughter's testimony the other night at 11 years of age. She, I don't even know how it happened. I said, honey, I don't have to know. You don't have to give me your whole story. But my daughter got addicted to pornography for four years all because of the World Wide Web. So here is Delilah messing with his mind, putting his head in the web. And it's real funny. It's a pen. Have you ever noticed how many times you got to use your pen number? Oh, where's the, where, where's the crowd I can talk to that understands where I'm coming from? I got to find that crowd to preach to. Now, what happened is this, that she wants to know the secret of his power. It was all a false motive. So he plays the game. He says, if you tie my hair up, and he shakes himself and he's free. He says, if you put seven green vines on it, it'll mess me up. And he, the thing is, the hair was the secret. It wasn't the hair so much as the secret because... You go back to a Nazarite vow. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He wasn't supposed to touch a dead carcass. And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And the crazy thing about Samson was he touched a dead carcass and he was still anointed. Read your Bible. He goes to a party, a wedding. He's no doubt messing, messing around drinking. He still gets anointed. But then Lester Sumrall said he had three parts to the vow. As long as he kept one of the three, God kept anointing him. But when he broke the third vow, which was Never cut your hair. And he told her, if you cut my hair, you'll take my power. She cut his hair. He didn't know it. Then he says, I will stand up and shake myself as before. And didn't know all of his strength and anointing was gone. And he was like a normal man. And when she said the Philistines be upon him, he'd taken out a thousand with a jawbone. He tied 300 foxes' tails together and burnt their fields down. He had taken gates of a city and ripped them off their hinges, all because he had a supernatural anointing. But then Delilah's haircutting shop finally got to where his covenant with God was, broke the third part of the Nazarite vow. And the Bible says he shook himself, but did did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. And then here's the saying I've said about Samson. They take his eyes and gouge him out, and he becomes blind, he becomes bound, and he goes into a grinding house, and he's going round and round and round. Because when you get in a situation like Samson, all you're going to do is go in circles. Israel, what did they do for 40 years? They went in circles. All right, now, I don't want to leave Samson at the grinding mill. I don't want to leave Samson to where uh, he has uh, lost everything. So here's what he does. He feels his hair growing back. And he says one day, Lord, do you remember me? Can you remember me? And God says, and this is important in just a moment, a story I'm going to tell. I remember you. And he tells a little boy, he says, take me to the pillars of this temple. And they laughed at him because they knew he couldn't do it, but they didn't realize his God is a comeback God. He pulled the temple down. He killed 3,000 Philistines. He died the death of his enemies. But here's the part. This is the part that really touches me. Can I tell you the part of Samson that really touches me? The part of Samson that touches me is we can leave him there 
under a stack of rocks with smoke coming up from the dust with 3,000 dead Philistines and him dead. But when I go to the book of Hebrews and I read about the people of faith, Paul could have eliminated that man because of a failure. But he said, by faith, Samson. Because it's not how fast you can run this race. It's will you make it across the finish line. How do you, when you are into a captivity or a bondage, how do you get everything back? The book of Joel is the key. I'm going to give you a word here in a minute that's a mind-boggling word. Most people don't even know it's in the book of Joel because it's a Hebrew word. In Joel chapter 1, it's a rebuke for Israel's disobedience. Chapter 2 is God giving them a restoration. And chapter 3 is God sending them a revival. The rebuke came before the restoration and the restoration came before the revival. Now, God says this in chapter 2. I will restore to you. I'm about to preach down somebody's alley right now. I'll restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, and the great army that was sent among you. So this army had destroyed Israel, destroyed their vines, destroyed their trees, destroyed their crops, destroyed their land. And God said, years of destruction was in your life, but I'm going to take the years and I will restore it. Now, when you look at this word restore, this is one of the coolest words. There is a word in Hebrew called Shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom is what you say in the morning. Shalom is what you say in the evening. Shalom is what you say in the grocery store. Shalom is what you say in the restaurant. If you're talking to a Jewish people, the Arabs will say shalom, but the Jews will say shalom. Now, here we go. The word shalom means well, happy, prosperous, and peace. So if I say to you shalom, I'm saying be blessed, be prosperous, have peace. In fact, shalom is a word commonly used for peace. In this passage, to restore is not shalom. If you're not careful, you'll think it's what it, it says. It is the word mm, shalom. Now someone says, well, what's the difference? Oh, it's a big difference. Shalom means to amend, to finish, to make good again, and to be safe. So shalom, shalom means this. I am going to make good what was bad. Uh, now, that's where the shout went. Half of you missed it right there. It can... Mm. Whew, I feel it. Bear with me. It means that what I have dealt with a long time, when God starts to shalom me, he's going to take care of, in a short time, what the enemy tried to do for a long time. A woman had an issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 for 12 years, but one touch of Jesus shalomed her. A man in Mark 5 had devils a long time. It says he had them a long time. We don't know how long a long time was, a long time. Jesus steps off a boat, says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And all of a sudden, the naked man's got clothes on, sitting in his right mind, going all over the place, preaching the gospel, telling everybody what Jesus did, because he met Jesus, the shalomer. 
I'm making up words here. He met Jesus, the Shalomer, <laughs> coming off a boat that delivered him. My, my, my. A man in Acts chapter uh, 3 is sitting at the eastern gate, 38 years, never walked a day in his life. Peter and John come and say, Silver and gold have a none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And Jesus' name shalomed him right there and brought strength to his legs. And the Bible said immediately he received strength. I've got seven, six questions to ask you. How much time did you lose being sick and not getting paid for it on your job? What contracts did you lose in your business over the past couple years? How much did you lose when your stocks went south? What, what are your children or grandchildren doing? dealing with that you know or don't even know about? What kind of friendship was broken that you've never had restored? What relative offended you that's grieved you and you don't know what to do with it? I've come by to tell you that you need to understand that God said it doesn't matter how many years you've been dealing with it. I can show up in one moment and I can put my shalom blessing. Oh God, I felt that come out of my bahasha. I can put my shalom blessing. My God, help me, Jesus. Woo, glory to God. And all of a sudden, at that moment, bam, everything changes. I got to tell you two stories and I'm done. They're very quick. Many, many years ago, I met an old friend. This friend of mine, literally every day studied and prayed eight to 10 hours a day, was a minister, had a teaching ministry. My grandfather said it was outside of Amy McPherson. My granddad heard Amy McPherson preach, said this was the greatest teaching ministry that he ever heard since Amy McPherson. Three attacks hit this person at once. I'm not going to go into the detail of, of what all the attacks were. As a result of the attacks, this person became involved with someone that was not their companion, ended up in an affair, ended up pregnant through the affair, lost the family, lost the ministry, and went into just years and years of just, just darkness. Now, here's the interesting thing, and I want to make this clear. Never turned on God. Now, this is what you got to understand. I got to, can I have enough time, Ben, to talk about this about five minutes and we'll be done. Never turned on God. Never doubted who Jesus was. Never questioned Jesus was the son of God. Never turned on the Holy Spirit. In their heart, loved God as much as they did when they were in full-time ministry, but was in a situation that they thought they would never find themselves out of. Okay. And I'm not going to, I'm abbreviating this. I don't want to go through all of it. This person said to me after I had not seen them in 10 years, they first of all came to me and said, I wish I'd have come to you when all of this was going on and just confidentially told you because you would have helped me through this and I would have never gone the route that I did. I believe it with all of my heart. But I said, well, you know, it's water under the bridge. You can't change that. But here's what they said. 10 years in mental darkness, 10 years in emotional darkness, 10 years in depression, 10 years of wondering what could have been. And one night, <laughs> oh God, after 15 years, man, this person looked up and just read the story of Samson and said, God, do you remember me? That's all, that's all this person said. God... And she, this person said, I heard the actual voice of God say, I remember you. When that happened, they started in a determination on a comeback road. They now have a, a, a Bible school. They have, uh, during that time, earned degrees. 
They have been restored into ministry, in ministry and preaching. And all they did was say, do you remember me? That's all they said. Do you remember? What did the thief on the cross say? What did the thief on the cross say? This, look, this, you know, Lord, remember me. And Jesus didn't say, hey, bro, you a thief. You're going to have to repent of those 25 things you stole from people. No, Jesus never. Do you understand that? How cool is this? Jesus don't bring up nothing he did. Don't tell him how many times. Jesus was the son of God. He knew everything about the guy. Remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus just turned and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> just remember me. We're going to give an altar call in a minute. Just remember me. One more thing. I preached for a man and his wife many years ago in Missouri, and they were a sweet couple. They almost were like a Ken and Barbie, you know, couple. And um, uh, something happened. Um, I'm not, I don't remember all the details. I'm not going to go into details, but he had a great church going, and something happened with his wife, and she left him. She just didn't want to be in ministry or whatever, left him. And it, it crushed him so bad in the day, he just quit the ministry. He was a good preacher, loved people, quit the ministry, went into secular business, and felt that he would never be back in ministry again. He told me years later, he said, I was in Virginia, in Roanoke, working a job, been doing it for years, and I, got a, I found a box of your tapes. And he said, I put in a tape about Samson. And he said, I'm at my job, man. And he said, as I get to the end of the Samson story, I start feeling the same anointing I felt when I used to preach. And he said, I heard the Lord say, you can have it all back. <laughs> you can have it all back. And that, and that, one, word, that one word from God, you can have it all back, restored his spirit. See, his spirit was crushed. His soul was crushed and picked him back up. And he was just grinning from ear to ear. I met him in Virginia. He was smiling. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.